0: Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode four hundred five is recorded live, May sixteenth, twenty nineteen. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side. Great state where we are getting our 40 days of rain. Joining me this week, we have Mac the doctor. How are you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. Uh, you're, I got a little bit of a reverb on you just a few moments ago.
0: Ah, yeah. Well, I'm going to blame the weather. It's, uh, it's raining here and the dogs are all upset.
1: I've had one heck of a thunder area i think i had one roll must have lasted 10 seconds wow oh just it was of, awesome
0: was it one of those that started off low and built up or just yep. started and,
1: yep. yep no it just started and built up and it's like that's freaking awesome
0: yeah yeah we're insignificant compared to the weather sometimes well uh you know that the the all that rain just means we're going to have more water to go diving in
1: uh, have you looked at any of the pictures? Well, I don't think i posted any. Niles?
0: No. No, what's Niles looking at? The like? road
1: is blocked off because it's flooded.
0: Ooh.
1: Um, yeah, the they're... pier is basically underwater. Where mm-hmm. you normally would turn around is underwater. The uh, bathroom or the porta potty is moved up by the fence.
0: <laughs> they're not going to lose another one?
1: Uh, well, they're not going to lose that one. Uh, but yeah, it's and fast.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, we've, we've been soggy for a while now. It just does not uh, yeah. really drop. I've, I've been keeping up on the lawn mowing for people who are keeping track. Uh, I, I think I've been mowing about every three to four days.
1: I got half my yard done before it started raining again.
0: Yeah, I did the, uh, Yesterday, I, I, I blew a tire. Well, I didn't blow a tire. I just didn't hold the bead anymore. So I took that in and finally got it back yesterday. Uh, I then was able to kind of hit the spots I had had to give up on a couple of days earlier. But, uh, yeah, I figure if I keep up on the lawn enough, is it kind of like you can build up? So like you can, if you mow it like 20 times in a row, hmm. go a month. I
1: don't think it works that way. It would be all right, though.
0: I'm gonna to try see to see what that is.
1: Well, let's yeah, you, go ahead. i was going to say you want reverb on me again there.
0: Ah, I said I had to had to see what the boss said.
1: Does anybody else hear that besides me? Because it could just be interplay between us.
0: Yeah, they're they're hearing it just a touch, so it's uh. Okay. My my signal's showing not too bad, but that's no indication. I don't always trust it. Says I have an average ping of seventy-six milliseconds and last ping was sixty-seven. I think they're lying to me. Oh, here it goes. It's going to go slow right there. Did I re- did I just reverb?
1: No. Okay. Or if you did, I didn't hear it.
0: Okay. Oh, they, they give you there's a little bit of debugging log there. But I'm going to stop. Uh, I think once I get through some of these articles, I have all the articles preloaded, so it may be very good. Slowing us down a little bit, but I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. As soon as I pull that back up, we have uh the normal diehards. I'll get myself back in the correct audio. I jumped out for a second there. Yeah,
1: because say, you went away when you said that.
0: <laughs> I go away, but Craig's still there, so we're still good. But that I'd like to thank uh we have Derek and Eric showing up. This first article we have here. I'm not even sure where it's from. It's uh, the Daily Mail, which is out the UK, is, is uh, doing this. I think in Australia, it says a schizophrenic ice addict who stormed the shop in a, in a scuba mask and a high viz while wielding a hammer was desperate for money to pay a drug debt. Michael <laughs> Anthony Reed threatened a female st- staff and stole $1,014 in cigarettes from News Express in Perth, Silver Sands Shopping Center on June 5th. What the heck? How can it be on June fifth? The article's from the 13th of May.
1: Yeah, I see that?
0: How can he? It said
1: updated. It said updated.
0: Well, it was published. But, yeah, it was published the, the same time though. What the heck is that about? Yeah, I'm. I'm going Let's say it's May fifth because I'm. I'm thinking that something went a little haywire uh the 34 year old who said he needed to pay a $200 drug debt was eventually tackled by footy players now is that a game
1: <laughs> You got me the only thing i can think of soccer players it's in the uk
0: uh well this is uh, uh so let's let's see we've 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 got a uh, an expert uh maybe he'll uh be able to explain it to us you know, if, if, if you're living in the Southern Hemisphere, you must know everything about that. Uh, this uh, the added, which the, with drugs, it must be ice, must be a term for drugs, had not taken medication to treat his mental illness when he raided the store, the Western Indian Supreme Court Herald. CCTV showed, watching re- the shops counter in a mask, an employee told him, take it off. <laughs> well, that, that's a good strategy. Uh, Reed refused and pulled out a hammer before two staff ran away as another crouched down in fear. The robber was seen jumping over the counter, stealing cash from their stern cigarettes. Reed was chased by a couple of footy players again from the local team and another man in a car park before being tackled to the ground. Reed lives just 10 minutes from the store where there was a female worker who was only 16. He planned the robber carefully by carrying a rod and bucket so onlookers would get the impression he was going fishing. Reed had been diagnosed. The schizophrenia is qualified for the insurance scheme. Did you see the picture? Yeah, I did. That's why now I. that I, makes.
1: But but what the heck do they call that? A high viz.
0: High viz must be the shirt, you yeah, because it's uh like a bright color.
1: Yeah, yellow or orange. But that's he, not a scuba mask.
0: <laughs> it's a it's hood. a it's a hood. And he needed his dive buddy to actually help him get that on correctly because it's up in the back. And as we know, that the cold water would go underneath that and you'd be a little chilly. <sighs> uh, Justice Bianca gave Reed a three-year conditional set, uh, suspended sentence after considering the extent of his mental health problems. He had suffered severe head injuries in a motorbike accident. I cannot regard your uh, offending as impulsive. I don't accept this. Uh, the judge said, however, the broad sensory disorder may affect your judgment, your condition, the minor factor in your offending. One worker at the news agent still suffering anxiety following the incident where she was left with an injured hip and knee. as She tried to run from the scene.
1: It's always the innocence to get hurt.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if this could have been June 5th of last year and that they're just reporting on the sentencing or they go to trial. I don't know how quick things happen down there. You know, up here, that could actually be take a year from when it happened, or maybe it was May fifth, and they just now have gone through it.
1: So looking at a reader comment that says, "Not a good or fair outcome. Doesn't get locked up. He's likely to do it again." Trying yeah. to see if there's a date for it, but there wasn't.
0: Yeah, and uh, but the, the way they so this must be their form of like. Aid or Social Security is a national disability insurance scheme. I'm not thinking scheme is really good branding <laughs> for that. Yeah. NDIS.
1: It must have not been wearing uh, a helmet when it crashed.
0: Yeah, yeah. our our in chat room expert says footy is Australian rules football. Shirt is high visibility. All our tradesmen and factory workers wear them for safety. We we've got something similar. Uh it's usually designated by the the code in the rules for the visibility but it's uh, uh they te- you tend to see them uh they'll be like an orange vest and then they'll have this 3m reflective tape on it and uh that's a requirement of the law that it be that high visibility we don't you don't see them in factories except for when you're you know truck drivers or uh not saying EMTs, but law enforcement, um, tow truck drivers, I'll, I'll typically wear those.
1: Yeah, high visibility. About the only place where you have the colors is on an aircraft carrier, fuelers, armorers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ours, I don't think the color mattered. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. On the aircraft They're carriers. Different, different roles. Yeah. Yes. And then here's an article out of Florida. It so says, you've probably heard all about the helium shortage going on right now. How is it impacting daily life? It's forced many patients for months to change birthday and party plans due to shortage of helium for balloons. But it's also affecting more than just celebrations. It's also affecting the scuba diving industry. For deep sea scuba divers, helium is needed to protect themselves in deeper water. Those diving 190 feet or deeper mix helium into their tanks, uh, but some use it even at 150 feet which uh, it goes much deeper than that. 78% of the air we breathe is nitrogen. The deeper you go, the, it becomes narcotic, according to Peter Friedman of uh, Stuart Scuba. So we take in nitrogen out of the gas we breathe and put helium in, which tends to be less narcotic. Stuart Scuba is a hot spot for deep-sea divers like uh, Sean Robotica uh, to get everything they need. They shop, even helps train, educate, BBC, BBC and National Geographic photographers, and they need to document underwater environment. There are actual dives in this area, which is one of the reasons why I teach down here. They range anywhere from 198 feet to 330 feet. Helium prevents nitrogen, narcosis, and dives. As you can imagine, when going deeper dives, a clear head is really important. Uh, it says, due to helium shortages, some local shops said they have to switch vendors because finding the gas is getting harder. Uh, it says helium is the most abundant gas in the universe, and there's... Not a lot of it on Earth. Freeman said, luckily, he uses enough helium that he has no problems obtaining it from a good source. He has directly through distributor. Nice thing is we use Matheson gas, which is a major distributor here. They have a cracking plant here, he said. But costs are going up, which can't be controlled. It's getting to a point where it's getting fairly expensive to fill up a set of double tanks. Some shops are no longer carrying helium. Friedman says he typically pays between hundred fifty to hundred seventy dollars for two hundred and twenty tank helium. He used to pay seventy dollars at one point now some tanks the same size can cost as much as three hundred dollars in short if the, as the shortage continues to help save and cost divers are switching to a dice called rebreathers, which uses a smaller tank of helium and recirculates it during the dive. It constantly uses the same gas over and over and over again says Friedman. I was able to get two or three dives out of one rebreather where a double tank of helium mixture lasts just one dive. And they go on and talk a, a little bit more. One thing I was wondering, because they're using helium in the space industry, and I'm sure that a large rocket <laughs> uses a it, I wonder if that's impacting the helium availability.
1: I didn't know rockets use helium
0: yeah they use it for almost the same reason that divers do is it it's uh an inert gas, and they can use it uh, you know they, they can mix it with fuels and it doesn't react, or you know they'll they'll have a bladder, and the other side they'll put helium because it's you know it's not going to explode uh,
1: well CO2 doesn't expo- explode and I use that
0: yeah, I think they are uh changing to different gases I, I saw something that they're actually looking at nitrogen. Hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I know a few years back we had a, a pretty big helium shortage, and then the uh, Party City just closed 150 stores, and they were claiming that the uh, shortage caused uh, them to shut down.
1: I didn't know airbags use helium either. Do they really? Oh, that's what one of the articles said there. Huh. That's what had me. I'm saying, what? And
0: I thought they used, I, like, an explosive. I didn't realize they used any helium.
1: Well, you got to fill up that airbag with something.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, I, I don't know what would, it is, the, I did not the hot, it.
0: smoldering gas that you've ignited uh, take care of that? Just use hydrogen. In the history of transportation, nothing bad's happened with hydrogen.
1: <laughs> just as long as you put it in a big enough bag.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah put put some flammable glue on the outside of it just for good measure. I don't know of anybody around here who's
1: using helium very much, did you
0: no, I
1: mean uh, TriMix, dry yeah. mix unless they're doing trimix and I've not seen how they have been using that in rebreathers around
0: yeah i mean re-rebreathers will will use it in a tri mix situation, but just uh you're just using that as your uh breathing gas uh. You better well, well, have some oxygen,
1: oxygen in there because you're not going to well, live let, on helium.
0: Uh, I'm sorry. I said that. It's your, I think your diluent is uh, in the rebreather, and somebody in the chat room can correct us. I think the diluent is your trimix, and then you, you're you adjusting with your oxygen.
1: I'm going to have to look that up now because I know that the helium that you used to get the balloons filled with is mm-hmm. not the same percentage as oh, what no. we would be using.
0: No, it just, uh, I've, I've heard people argue about it, that the, uh, the balloon helium is perfectly fine. It just isn't filtered.
1: Oh, really? Which I thought it was a different percentage.
0: Well, it may be. I mean, they may, um, you know, stretch it. Well, hopefully they get it under control, but then there you go. Just an advertisement for the, uh, for breather industry. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. I tell you, uh, uh uh, zebra Muscle Study Takes High Schooler to International Science Fair. Uh, this one's out of Texas. Lake Travis High School senior who researched a new way to kill zebra mussels on local lakes is presenting his research this week at the International Science and Engineering Fair, ISEF in Phoenix. Jack Deli Santini won both regional and state science fairs to reach international competition with a project he started more than a year ago when he started scuba diving in Lake Travis. And you reach the bottom and there's just a wasteland of mussels down there? He said, I've always seen signs of zebra mussels, but I've never seen anyone actually do anything about it. He decided he would do something. He started researching the invasive mollusks. Zebra mussels filter nutrients out of the water, depriving other organisms what they need to thrive. Deli Santini thought he could use the mussel's gills against him. So he researched a common, through his days as a biomedical engineer, uh, carboxymethyl cellulose (CMC) known as cellulose gum is used as a thickener in various types of cooking and such as gluten-free baking. It remains viscous even completely submerged in water. So Deli Santini theorized he could it could would clog the muscles' filters and kill them. He liked the substance for other reasons too. It's naturally biodegradable, genetically recognized as safe or generally recognized as safe by the FDA. It's also biologically inert, meaning it won't affect the environment it's placed into. Once he got permits he needed to collect zebra mussels, he donned his scuba gear and used a bucket and dive knife to scrape test subjects off the buoy at Windy Point on Lake Travis. He tested various concentrations of zebra, coating trays of zebra mussels he collected personally from Lake Travis and letting them silt for a few days. Higher concentrations left to sit for six days were the most effective at reducing the mollusks' ability to filter water, killing them. The top prize at ISEF, a contest among 1,800 students from 75 countries is $75,000, and there are many other smaller prizes up for grabs. Regardless of what happens, though, he hopes to continue his research and findings in a valuable solution for zebra mussel problem in Central Texas. I'm hoping that something good will come of this, because it's definitely consumed a year of mine, and I'd like to see community take a little bit more action against zebra mussels. I I like the idea things that seems to make sense.
1: But if it kills zebras, I can't imagine it wouldn't harm the native muscles also.
0: True. Is it something that you could apply locally? I mean, he slathered it on. So it's not something it sounds like you could just cast. Like you couldn't just, could you be on the surface and sprinkle it down? Or this be something that you'd have to... We
1: initially injected chlorine in our intake systems to help, mm-hmm. basically kill them in the larvae stage. Yeah, and then uh, they changed to a different chemical using now. Can't I don't remember what it is. There's another item that they talk about the tiny pills or microcapsules laced with potassium chloride. They're using that in New England, but yeah. yeah. Of them. This the last little light like, of my two thousand six. I do know that if you look at the uh, infestation rate over the last twenty years and I'll look at it progressively from when it started to where it is now, it's every freaking.
0: Yeah, he says he can make fifty liters of an effective concentration of CMC for about a buck fifty.
1: But how does that disperse in water? Is it heavier than water, so it goes down and coats the bottom? He says it's
0: it's enough to seal off and treat an infested pipeline. So he must be injecting it into the pipeline? I mean, while you're doing the treatment, I'm almost thinking that you can't be using the pipeline, could you?
1: Well, yeah, we did that. We injected it through the intake pipes, because that's where the flow rates come.
0: Yeah, he says, in an open water scenario, it would be more challenging, Vancey said, due to the flow of water moving solutions around. It's an issue that uh encountered recently with trying to eliminate mussels from uh, Sister Grove Creek in north of Dallas. Department used that potassium chloride and had it in place in moving water for 48 hours. It's difficult to do, but the solution was effective, killing all but a few stragglers. Hmm.
1: Well, if he can make one, that would be great.
0: I mean the the price seems about right. Now now watch it not pass for toxic to, toxic reasons but it's something that we can add to food that you eat.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay and and this is something that I've I've started to become more aware of this next article. And it's on the BBC news and it says when is the okay gesture not okay? And, uh, if you want are wondering what the gesture is, it's, you know, in, in diving, we've got the, the okay where you, you know, you arc your arm and then you top the, t- you touch the top of your head. And then the other one is, is like what we use when we're in the water, when it's you put your thumb and pointer finger together and then you have your three fingers up and that's the okay sign. And, um, I first became aware that. This was thought to have a different meaning at the beginning of robotics season this year because it was added to the rule books that your team could be disqualified if you did this symbol, but you had to do the symbol upside down and by your waist. So, uh, in this article, they're talking about uh, France's Marie Le Pen. On the far right national rally, is the latest politician to find themselves in hot water for singling that everything is okay. While visiting Estonia's far right EKRE party, which just entered government, she made the ancient hand gesture in a selfie with the party's youth leader, Ruben Kalip. There's just one problem the symbol's been widely used by white nationalists in recent years, and for many people, it's taken on a darker, darker meaning. I've never heard of the second meaning of this. Trivial gesture, Marine Le Pen said, but she has just come under criticism with some asking how a political leader could be ignorant of the major trend among far-right scene she operates in. From the ultra-far-right to American conservatives, The even the suspect in a mass murder, the symbols being used to troll the media and ruffle feathers. So when is a gesture not okay? And then here we get into a little bit of the details behind it. Internet trolls turned trendsetter. The entire saga started out as an online joke, taking an innocent and widely used gesture and pretending that there's a sinister hidden meaning behind it, hoping to trick the media and the left-leaning people into outrage. But the joke was so successful, a gesture so widespread among the far-right and white nationalists that many believe the okay sign is changing meaning. It was even used in a court by a suspect of the Christchurch killing after he killed 50 people after opening fire on two mosques, bringing international attention as a genuine white power symbol. It began in 2007 on the infamous Internet message board 4chan. Though its long, controversial lifespan, the site has been a source of many Internet memes and jokes, but is a strong, right-leaning political audience. The hoax planned on 4chan was simple: to ridicule media by convincing reporters of a fake white power symbol. The posturing reasoning to be given is that the hand making the OK sign, the three straight fingers make a W shape, while the closed thumb and forefinger symbolize the letter P. It is wildly successful in the popularity of the gesture used to mock left-leaning people or troll viewers exploded. In two years since, however, its constant use by right-wing where extremist individuals have turned the hidden meaning into a general connotation. The U.S. Anti-Defamation League puts it, By 2009, at least some white supremacists seemed to abandon the ironic or satiric intent behind the original trolling campaign and used the symbol as a sincere expression of white supremacy, meaning now consider the sign to be white nationalist's dog whistle, a signal only intended to underscore by those in the know, which makes it use in the current political climate, a bit complicated. False acquisitions. Around most of the world, OK, Stein still means, what always had, that everything's, everything is fine. In some countries, however, the gesture is considered vulgar. It can have other meanings among young men. It's frequently used in the circle game, where making the sign below the waist and getting a friend to look at it entitles a prankster to thump said friend on the arm. Before the hoax tried to invent the alternative meeting supporters, of the U.S. President Donald Trump had frequently been photographed. Using the OK sign, a gesture, and selfies which spread among the group. In the end, it can mean almost anything, as the US based Southern L- Poverty Law Center said in the explanation of the topic. The ADL too warns against jumping conclusions about the meaning, saying the overwhelming usage is still the traditional use. Someone who uses this symbol it cannot be assumed to be using the symbol in either a trolling or especially white supremacist context unless other context evidence to support the connotation the organization says in its educational material. Since 2007, many people have been falsely accused of being racist or white supremacist for using okay gesture in traditional and innocent sense. Context is key when that's why Estonia's ERKE, who Marine Le Pen was visiting in May, have come under fire. The group's two most prominent leaders, father and son, Mart and Martin Helm, both made the symbol of being sworn into office as they entered government. Mr. Helm, the senior suggested the, that indigenous white Estonians are being replaced by immigrants. While his son previously said, I want Estonia Estonia to be a white country. has also spread far outside politics. Chicago baseball team banned one fan from the stadium for making a sign on a television broadcast for the U S coast guard employees pulled from duty for the same offense. What began as an unlike joke is transformed into a loaded gesture with very real consequences. Had you heard of this Mac?
1: Absolutely. and, I am just one I'm just glad that the uh one finger salute of the bird has not changed and anybody who thinks the okay is something different, that's my symbol to them.
0: <laughs> so so when we're diving we just give the middle finger to say we're okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I use my okay, but my point is anyone who would think that meant anything else, they can have the other. Yeah. Uh much ado about nothing.
0: But see, I I wasn't aware of this until about two months ago, and it was the context of that circle game they're talking about. I hadn't realized it had progressed from that to any use. Oh yeah, it's really uh, I, I'm mad. I, I get way I get beyond, up, way beyond. I, I get upset that people take things and then hijack them. I mean, I understand trolling the media can be fun, but this one's this is a little nuts. I keep thinking snowflake. You thinking what? Snowflake. Snowflake.
1: Yes, everything bothers me.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so just be aware of that if you're a diver underwater. Do, now, do we need to include this in our pre-dive briefings? You know, what is the OK symbol, and what do you mean? I mean, well, I'm,
1: I, I'm, I think you're going to get what I said before. <laughs> <laughs> If but you can, don't know your buddies by now, yeah, I well, won't and then further than so,
0: that. so so do we do we need to write Patty and Nally and everybody else and say you know you're going to change your material because you know that this is in the book, the, this is one of the hand signals that's acceptable in the online material. Well, it, it must it, be acceptable
1: they? then for divers in America because it's written down in a very nice, polite fashion and explained what it means. So there's no ambiguity that if a diver is using it, he's not a gang member, he's not a white supremacist, he's simply a diver saying, yep, I'm okay.
0: Uh, the chat room is saying the upside down okay symbol when held against your legs is a kid's game. If I do the symbol and you look at my hand, I get to punch you. See, and that's what they were talking about in the rule of circle game, but they didn't explain why you weren't allowed to do it anymore. Just if you were, you would be, your team would be disqualified.
1: They're they're saying it's a white supremacist gesture, even though it isn't. That's what they're claiming it to be, and yeah. to avoid injuring someone's sensibilities, they're basically banning it, where you can't do it because somebody might construe it as that. Which that's why they, I keep saying snowflake.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I just life. I I think well, if it's so easy. To create these troll memes, what you know what do you why don't we pick some things that i would like to that i would be okay with them hijacking because you you heard of like uh was it peppy the frog or lizard or whatever he is the cartoon
1: i don't think so but continue
0: well, it, the uh it was you know there was a cartoonist who came up with this character peppy uh the frog and um uh, Racist. I think it was racist. It shows I'm, I don't follow the racist culture. Uh, had hijacked it and it was meaning other things to the point to where the cartoon was being banned. So here you've got this poor innocent uh, cartoonist who makes a character gets hijacked by a part of the po- uh, population and now he can't, you know, he, he can't use it to earn a living anymore.
1: Well, I don't but remember I think, any lizards or frogs
0: in any yeah, of the be,
1: Sunday comics lately.
0: Uh, let me, let me, uh, I don't even know if I can. You probably can't even. Uh, Mad
1: Magazine, they must not be able to use Mad Magazine anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, here, I, I'm going to, I'm. we're pulling up the great big book of everything, the internet. And here, I'm going to give you the link in here.
1: Well, like I say, Wikipedia—you can you can tell, you can make it mean anything you want to.
0: Yep. Just uh, add did, it and edit it. Yeah. Did you? Uh, you can you see in the chat room? Where I pasted in I'm in the live show chat. Can you see that? Or I'll paste it to both channels. Peppy the frog. Yep. So that is Peppy the frog. Yeah. In 2016, the character's image of an appropriate as a symbol of a conservative alt-right movement the Anti-Defamation League added certain incarnations of the Peppy the Frog to their database as hate symbols in 2016, adding that not all Peppy memes are racist, since then Peppy's creators publicly expressed dismay at Peppy being used as a hate symbol.
1: Some people need to get a life.
0: Yeah, in 2014, images of Peppy were shared on social media by celebrities such as Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj. As Pepe became more widespread, 4chan users began referring to publicly creative and unique variants of the meme as rare Peppies. These images, sometimes as physical paintings, were sold on eBay and postings on Craigslist. 4chan users referred to those using the meme outside the websites as normies. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then, then they go on. So basically, what it is is if you can get. If you can upset people from a certain political persuasion, it then becomes illegal and bad to use so can we so can we get something you know and here we get we're going off the scuba diving, but that, again going from the the original okay symbol, but can we get them to to say things are bad that we don't like? Can we just troll them that way
1: i yeah they had a program the other night it was in the paper uh, for people here in in St. Joe, we're going to get together and have rational discussions of how can we have a rational discussion in the explosive environment we are in today. And during that, they realized that they cannot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is in our backyard. Yes, Was there a fist fight?
1: No, no. It, but it was one of this that when people believe a certain way. It's so hardcore and ingrained that logic and and trying to discuss it in a logical pattern, there's too many trigger items, and people are just gone off deep in. And it was interesting to read that article after because I publicized it. This is what we're going to be doing. The purpose is so we can have good discussions without you know using abusive language. And during this presentation. They realize that you can't, <laughs> because people are so polarized in so many different areas. And yeah. one of the items is there's trigger items for almost everybody, such as abortion or not abortion, uh, guns or no guns, wearing a helmet in your in on a motorcycle or not. Why do I have to wear a seatbelt? It's it they are it's really polarized.
0: Yeah, and it's, people it's,
1: who believe one way cannot understand whatsoever how somebody could believe otherwise.
0: Yep. Well, as a society, we're gonna to have to get over this, because if we can't, then we're gonna have problems. And I and I think part of this is the uh you know, here here, get on my soapbox. Uh it's how we communicate with social media.
1: Yes, it is. If if it, you had to put your name in your face, the real name and face, you wouldn't say what you said.
0: Yeah. Because you
1: wouldn't be working. You may think it, anything you want, just keep your mouth shut, do your job. And that's where it always has been.
0: And it's a desire to be inclusive and part of a larger group. So you have to do virtue signaling. So I need to be able to broadcast to you what group I think I'm in so <laughs> that we all are part of the same group. So we've, what a particular political party or interest group will do is is uh, come up with these terms. And if you use these terms, then it shows to me that you're part of that group that I'm in. And then you also have the converse that if people don't use those terms or use these alternate terms, then they must be in that other bad group, no matter whatever that bad group may be.
1: Well, and, my uh, terms of endearment are easy. It's let's get wet. <laughs> yes. And if you don't want to get wet, then that's fine. Stay dry. Yeah. I'm easy.
0: <laughs> well, no, but we need, but you've got cold water divers and warm water divers, and there's no way that we're able to agree. And you got the High visibility. Yeah. High visibility, low visibility. Well, let's get back to scuba in the news. Uh, Shipwrecks may help tropical fish adapt to climate change. As warming waters destroy reef habitat, sunken remains can provide refuge for marine life. This is covered in nationalgeographic.com. What they're referring to is that they're saying that uh, structured reefs right off our coast, such as shipwrecks, uh, are seeing larger quantities of colored fish that defy expectations. A new study in the National Communications Biology by Taylor and Avery Paxton, a marine ecologist who divides her time between NOAA and Duke University Marine Laboratory, shows artificial deepwater reefs off the coast of North Carolina increase the number of tropical and subtropical fish at the northern edge of the ranges. These findings have important implications for fishes in warming water as ocean temperatures rise, artificial reefs may facilitate the movement of these species towards the poles, where they may be able to find habitat that is more suitable in the future. It matches up what we've seen anecdotic, anecdotically, dotically. So it's nice to see a formal study of this, said Robert uh, Matori, a marine biologist with Southern California Department of Natural Resources. Are we surprised that fish like to find good environments so they can be protected in?
1: I, I don't know of any diver who doesn't realize that or know that already. Uh,
0: and so, what they're, what they're kind of trying to indicate in here is that these wrecks that have been making artificial reefs are could potentially be a um, like a, allow these species to leapfrog and work their way up north where the water temperatures are more favorable. Uh, I wasn't aware that fish would wait for a reef. I mean, if it's, if it's, wouldn't they naturally migrate with it without the reef? I would think so. Uh, I mean, the, the reef is going to help them because fish like reefs. We see them in the great lakes and you see it out in the, uh, uh oceans is its protection. So anytime you're able to protect yourself, <coughs> then that is a good thing for you. Uh, says, accidental and recreational reefs, rocky reefs like the one that occur naturally off the coast of North Carolina, function much like their coral reef cousins, but unlike tropical reefs, which have underlying structure built by living coral, the skeletons of temperate reefs is made of rock or other non-living substrates. Said rock can take many forms. It can be as flat as a parking lot or a seafloor strewn with boulders. Still, other temperate reefs form in the cliffs and ledges of the continental shelf. Supplementing these nat- nature reefs are artificial reefs that range from shipwrecks to deliberately placed human structures, such as concrete pipes. Bridge trusses decommissioned tugboats, says uh, Matore, who also runs the state's artificial reef program. Although popularity in artificial reefs has increasing in recent years, the idea isn't new. And they go on and explain how they, all the way back to the 1800s, fishers were intentionally throwing logs in rivers to create habitat.
1: Just like they toss Christmas trees in the lakes to give fish a place to spawn. Yeah. I've never seen, now that I think about it out loud, is a chart that would give the uh, depth of the ocean and then give proportionate to the aquatic life that is in that depth. My understanding is the deeper you go, the less life there is, even though there is life. Is that your understanding?
0: Could you say that again?
1: If you had water and it's five miles deep, at what strata level do you have the most abundant fish life? That would be one question. The second question is: Are all fish, meaning when they spawn, is it in the shallows, which requires it to be hidden in some way so other fish or animals don't eat the eggs? Which meant if you had a reef or a ship. You got some kind of shelter, hide it and yourself. At what depth does that stop? Do they breed in open water? One would think so.
0: You know what I'm saying? I, I do. I think it probably just depends on the species. I do too. The one thing that we are starting to see is that places we thought had no life actually do have life. Uh, Wherever there's an opportunity, either nutrients or protection or something, there is going to be an animal or or some creature biologically that is going to try to exploit that. Yeah, it will adapt.
1: Like the hot vents that you you see on the bottom, the great depth, they have marine life, but it's not a variety that you're going to find anywhere near us. Nor could it live in a different environment.
0: So I'm I'm not advocating uh polluting or trying to intentionally change our environment, but uh nature is pretty resilient and does try and come up with ways to adapt or take advantage of situations. So this I was trying to is this it it's one of those that it, it seems obvious. Is it just in were they trying to tie this to climate change somehow? You know, I was saying, "Hey, that you know, if, as climate change happens, this would be a way that these structures would help." I'm I'm all for artificial reefs. You know, I I would love to have more of them because we love diving on them. Then, uh, then you want to find fish, look for the reefs. We see that in uh, Michigan City there.
1: I wonder. I've not looked at the chart again to see at what depth do the water level temperatures not change very much. I mean, if I'm in five thousand feet of water, at what point does the stratification stop? More constant temperature, or very little bit? Um, you know not- what I'm saying? Because out here, we were looking at the buoys the other day. And it was almost the same temperature fifty four degrees on the surface it was forty eight at the bottom and sixty feet now, if you were two hundred feet how down, how far down did you go know that stratification you know what i'm saying of temperature I've not seen charts on that. It'd be interesting to see that
0: yeah i'm I'm not sure uh, I would believe at some point because i I know that submarines play around with the uh the layers oh absolutely. Um, but I don't know does there get to be a point you know when you're between one thousand and three thousand do 3,000, are those thermoclines there uh and is is it are they going to be thermally driven or can they be you know p h driven
1: they also current driven uh,
0: current yeah yeah because yeah, you you have what they they call that the great
1: uh i mean you've been though. in a thermocline where you can see it. You've oh, yeah. got this you're going down and all of a sudden you're in oily looking water and then you go past it and it's like, son of a gun, that took me to drop.
0: I can remember uh reading books where the subs were talking about playing the thermal clients, and I played, you know, a submarine simulator where there are thermal clients, and I'm like, this just seems so bizarre and until you see it as a scuba diver, it's hard to really connect with what a thermal client is. And yeah, I and yeah. I still don't I mean I see that it's there, but there's a certain logic to me that says it shouldn't happen. You know, warm water should rise and cold water should sink. So why is that barrier persistent where you've, you, it doesn't want to mix? Wouldn't that the colder water from up above?
1: Well, it's current-driven. If you've seen the, the topo maps and the current patterns in Lake Michigan, current would be a big factor. Wave action Storms.
0: So, so it it's similar to the uh weather fronts that we see. <clears throat> it just happens to be at water and it's uh flipped uh in a little bit of a horizontal orientation.
1: And we're and we generally used to thermoclines down to hundred and twenty feet. Do they have them past that? I've not noticed it. I'm not diving that Yeah, that's the same Not thing. anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's something that'd be something to look at. And then this next article, which is a press release, it says Blue Water Ventures International has begun site survey work off the coast of North and South Carolina. Uh, they are pleased to announce uh, completion of initial site surveys has been conducted off the so- the, so- the, so- the so- coast of South and North Carolina. Seven of 12 targets have been confirmed using side scan sonar along with Blue Water Divers filming and recovery. Certain shipping material to positively date the wrecks Further research of historic uh, data uh, detailing certain shipwrecks will commence in order to better identify these sites. Survey operations will continue through the 2019 dive season as well as current recovery operations on the steamship Pulaski and steamship North Carolina wreck sites. Keith Webb, CEO of BWVI states, it's always a thrill to find X marks a spot. We've got a great crew this season. Everyone is excited to be back in the water. Or back on the water. Um, The company engaged in business uh, conducting archaeologically sensitive recoveries of cargo and artifacts from shipwrecks. Its operation today focused on shallow water search and recovery projects in less than 150 feet of water. The company is now expanding its focus to include deep water salvage, historic, and modern-day shipwrecks. Is this something that is—what is the reason for this press release, I think? Are they trying to convince people to invest? Uh, by the way, I don't I don't invest in this company. Um, did I lose you, Matt?
1: Yeah, I was going to say uh, I think this is more of an investment aspect because they're, yeah. they're obviously working with the state to get permission to dive and or recover, or they have ownership of the wreck and they're going to do something with it. But that aspect of X marks the spot, that means it'll be on a chart. And if you're taking groups out, that's great. You want to know where the the wreck is. We're doing the same thing, only we're trying to buoy them. So instead of X marks the spot, there's the buoy. We don't have to be looking for it. Dive it. It's an economic boon to the community. Yeah. And that's why we're trying to do it here locally. Sounds like they're doing it there also, but they're not buoying it. But they're trying to put names to the Xs, and they're also looking at it from making money out of uh, exploration and recovery of material.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I went and visited their website, and they've got some photos of different treasure they've brought up and stuff, and I'm assuming it's all legally recovered. Um, So, okay. Then kind of along the same lines, or maybe not so much, we have uh, the manitoulin.ca website. Says so LaSalle's Griffin remains a mystery, but Discovery Channel finds a new shipwreck near Meldrum Bay. Uh, so I don't know. I, I guess I probably should have given a spoiler warning before I said anything. Uh, have you watched uh, Expedition Unknown?
1: No. Most uh, of that, as we know, is hype. Yes. And it's always the same here. You know, now it's what? Hidden World War II gold. It's the. Yeah. Looking for the shipwreck gold here in, in Civil, Lake Michigan Civil War
0: gold, yeah. It's all it's yeah. all
1: but BS.
0: Yeah. So if if you haven't watched that program and you you don't want any spoilers then uh you know skip ahead a little bit or or watch the episode and then come back. But uh yeah. the reason why I I covered this is is because they were talking about the Great Lakes and Griffin shipwreck, but we also had uh local uh historians on the program. You had Josh Gates, who's not necessarily local. I think he's out of New York. But you had, uh, let me see if they give the names here. Yeah, uh, maritime historian and author Chris Cole, who I believe is out of Canada. Um, Miss Fossberg from uh, near Ni- Niagara Falls. Uh, and then they also had Valerie Van Heest, from, uh, MSRA uh, and they, and they were going on. So, um, and, and I'll let you read the article. I won't go all the way through it, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind the programs, even though I don't think this one was an exceptionally good one. I thought it was kind of, eh, uh, sometimes I think that they're just, they're filming something, hoping, hoping that something exciting happens. Uh, I liked it just cause it showed the water conditions so it in in one spot up probably uh uh towards uh, beaver island they had some pretty good visibility and then a little bit later they had some really crappy visibility so that's what I that's what I enjoyed seeing was just some diving and they did find some shipwrecks uh that were not documented i i'm going to say they were probably refound because where they found them it seemed kind of obvious but there'd yeah. be shipwrecks there so uh it just might be their unnamed wrecks it also seemed kind of convenient that they were able to find him real quick, oh and then uh they did have a sub that they were using on the lake right uh, josh gates yeah josh gates is the uh is the personality who's on these, and he goes all over the world for them. uh but they had, they were in a little three person sub and then talking about some treasure, Daniel Frank Sedwick May treasure auction posts uh, two point zero five million dollars. A shipwreck recovered early Spanish colonial gold tumbar bar lot nineteen one nine four, weighing one point eight one six kilograms, is marked with a fineness of five point seven five carats. Saw heavy interest during Daniel Frank Sedwick LLC treasure auction conducted online May second to the third. After spirited bidding concluded, the bar realized a price of 50575 on a $35,000 estimate. So that's like $15,000 over. The bar was one of 13 gold Iggins recovered from the Tumbaga wreck, which sank around 1523 off Grand Bahamas Island. The surface of the bar bears a tax stamp in the name of Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor who ruled over Spain at the time. Uh, for silver bars, high grade silver bar weighing 92 troy pounds, 3.84 troy ounces recovered from the wreck of the Atosha, sank in 1622 off Key West, Florida, sold for $57,715 on a $30,000 estimate. The bar was graded class factor one, the highest grade given to Akosha silver bars, despite spending 300 years on the ocean floor. Two other class factor one bars weighing. Uh, 76 troy pounds or 10.24 ounces and 60 troy pounds, 7.86 troy ounces for $575 on an estimate of 25000 47600 from an estimate of 20000 respectively. respectively. I was not aware that precious metals, no matter their form, I mean, unless you've got like King Tut's mask, really brought much more than the value of the gold.
1: Well, like you said, there's numistic value, and then there's the bullion value and that way yeah. if you're if you're doing coinage for the apocalypse, <clears throat> you do not want numistic coins you want you know straight gold or silver in small quantities that are negotiable
0: right mystics
1: so is whatever the the buyer whatever you can get somebody to pay
0: right yeah your your numistic value is going to be. In the, in a time of tragedy, it's only worth whatever the precious metals are. So I'm kind of surprised that these were going so high, unless you had a collection and you needed it for that particular reason. But when I look at the gold bar, I wouldn't mind having one just because it's gold and because it was on a shipwreck. But I don't necessarily think I would be dropping a ton of money in it.
1: I'd buy a Cougar Ann before I'd buy that. Yeah. Unless I was absolutely a billionaire, then I don't have to worry about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if you're a billionaire. But that's, that's even a bad deal. I mean, unless, because you, I don't know. Just buy, like you said, buy the Cougar Inn. Whenever you say Cougar Inn, I think of the uh, Lethal Weapon movies, though. <laughs> Probably dating myself right there. New technology searches for the Great Lake shipwrecks. Uh, Thunder Day, son, th- goodness. What time is it? It's almost, a, it's, we're getting close to 11. Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary is collaborating with Dr. Bob Ballard's Ocean Exploration Trust to map unexplored areas in northern Lake Huron with multi-beam sonar. deploying Autonomous Surface Vehicle, ASV, from the University of New Hampshire Center for Coastal and Ocean Mapping, the mission is focused on mapping unexplored expanded sanctuary areas with a goal of discovering new shipwrecks, identifying shipwreck locations to support ongoing exploration and management, project begin May 6th and ends Friday. Wow. That, not, they're hoping to get a lot done quickly, I guess. It's expensive. Uh, yeah, I guess. And you probably only, could only get the the ship for oh, so long. So as much of the mapping occurs off the shores of Presque, uh, Prestique Isle County, but on Saturday, May 11th, the ASV, also known as the Ben. Bath America Explorer Navigator traveled south to Alpena to survey Thunder Bay River during the sanctuary's annual ROV competition. Students from across Michigan undertook their own underwater exploration missions in the marine technology testing tank. ASV Ben is operated from a mobile lab on shore and provided an opportunity for students in public to see cutting-edge technology. And Action also interacting with visiting hydrographers, surveyors, and other marine scientists. So I think I got conned into reading a press release. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking there was some more detail here, but this really didn't. All it said is that the, it was up there for a couple of weeks and that's about, they were just going to do some scanning. So I mean, good. I hope they find something, but yeah, I guess it costs money. Now maybe they could find something like this. Lost item found in a 130 year old shipwreck could be worth millions of pounds. Paintings by famous Russian artist lost in a shipwreck over 124 years ago could be worth a few coins. The paintings were by renowned artist Ivan... Oh, I had to find a name that's mispronounced this week. Ivan is fine. Ivan Ivozovsky, who is considered one of the greatest masters of marine art. Several of his valuable works were lost in the Gerald... Cutsview Steamship, which which sank off the coast of Crimea in 1895. Last year, the wreckage was discovered by divers from Russian Neptune underwater exhibition with 10 paintings. Um, It is thought that Ivan gave the crew his paintings after traveling on board their vessel. An expedition was planned earlier to recover the items, but it was stopped over fears they'd become more damaged. Uh, he was born in Crimea, Crimea and died in 1900, depicting naval life. In recent years, wealthy Russian oligarchs have bought his work, which has increased its value. One of his most famous works, A View of Constantinople and the Bosphorus, was sold at Sotheby's for a record 3.2 million pounds. After finding the vessel in 2008, senior researcher, told Russian news agency that it could have been used as a merchant ship, discovered vessel presumably dating back to the 2nd or 3rd centuries, rests at a depth of 85 meters, and this is its wooden carcass. Neptune Expedition was sponsored by a fund of Russian presidential grants on the project, Crimea and the Crossroads of Civilization. The expedition aim was examining objects spotted by archaeologists in the Black Sea and looking for new artifacts. Scientists on the expedition found the iron anchor that helped to conclude the time period of the vessel. Uh, he said the scene of the shipwreck was with a, a mast, of the diameter more than a half a meter. The vessel was 22 meters long, 6 meters wide, and conformed to round ships used in the Roman era as merchants. Well, hopefully oh, yeah,
1: is- his paintings he didn't use watercoloring.
0: <laughs> no, and, and that's what drew me to this article is I'm thinking... Can it hold up? Uh, are they? I mean, how are they mounted? Are they mounted on a regular frame, or were they rolled up in a tube? Uh, I I'm not sure about paints. If how well they hold up submerged, I'm just picturing slime rolls off it. I mean, how much is a uh, uh, you know piece of canvas worth with no paint on it anymore?
1: Again, when they have it up and then they can prove it's worth that, that'll be a different story.
0: Yep. Wow, we had a full docket there. So that does it for Scuba News. Let's see. Mac, do you have anything this week you'd like to cover?
1: Oh, uh, Actually, I do. Hang on a second. Let's find it. No. Always, I put it up. Ah, oh, here we go. I uh, always like to do the, you know, lessons learned, this kind of stuff, because, you know, how often do you see yourself there? And uh, this is a relatively old one, but as I read through it, it's like it's it's not an old item that can happen. So I'm going to go through here. It's called Cozumel Incident, but Lesson Learned. Starts out by a guy writing this, and he says, first of all, I suck a lot of air. I swim. I take pictures. So I'm just a big dog on my air. My wife and I were in Cozumel back in November. First trip and first experience at ocean diving, and my first in over 10 years. We did a pre dive at a local lake to check on buoyancy, re familiarize ourselves with diving. Some friends of ours who have been diving quite a while recommended a dive master to use. We contacted him and went out on a medium sized boat, quite a few other folk, but he was basically our dive master. He goes over the dive plan. We settle on nothing over 80 feet come up with 700 pounds of air, and we set out on a dive. He mentions they've seen some black tips, sharks. So we go with the group over to that area. We're cruising around at some sea eagle rays, and behold, black tips appeared. But he kept going deeper. We we followed him, thinking, A, he's the dive master, and B, he's here to look out for us. I see we're at 87 feet or so, and I was we're doing okay. I check a few minutes later. I'm 116 feet. Needless to say, I was a little irritated. We continue to dive, and my ear gets to 1,000, and I tell him. And when I'm at 700, I tell him. At 500, I tell him. 200, I tell him. And literally put the gate in front of his face. We finally do our safety stop, and I'm standing right beside him and by the end of it, I'm breathing off his octo. No biggie, I'm comfortable. Life is good. Suddenly, he drops the weight, looks at me, points to the surface, takes off to get the weight. I'm a little confused as his regulator is pretty much pulled from my mouth. I swim down, catch up with him, get one more breath, and he points up again. Then, I see my wife above me and know she has hair, so I frantically swim up to her, and I'm continually breathing out. I take one more breath off the regulator and then shoot to the the takeaways one, the dive master is a guide. Don't rely on them one hundred percent. If he hadn't been there, I would have done my safety stop, then ascended to the surface with around four to five hundred minimum pounds of air. However, I assumed the mindset that he'll take care of me to overrule my common sense. His comment then was Don't be me, lessons learned. And then he said, Well my thoughts on the matter. One, why did he take us so deep when we talked about 80 was my limit? Number two, why did he ignore my air issue when he was fully aware of the situation? Why didn't he simply ascend with both my wife and I and head back down for the weight later? I confronted him after the dive and his only response was, Hey, we had a great dive, saw a lot of neat stuff. Do this next dive with me and I'll really take good care of you. Uh, hell no. (laughs) You kind of freaked me out, you know, which doesn't happen often. And you thoroughly scared my wife, who honestly haven't seen me truly scared since we've been together. And then he continued, any thoughts are appreciated. I think I've learned my lessons from the dive, but willing to hear others and their input on this item. What could I have done different? I've been to Cozumel a few times and have always had great experiences until now. And then he talks about who he dove with. And uh, my comment, has that ever happened to you? And why would it ever happen to you if you have planned your dive? And looking through some of the responses to this, bottom line was this. To me, it was also. If you thought you were too deep, you should have signaled ascend and level off and then done it. If you thought it was time to ascend, you should have signaled that and started your ascent. Unless your DM, your dive master, was going to abandon you, he'd have followed you and your wife. So when it comes down to it, you are responsible for yourself. Each diver must know they're responsible for their plan, its execution, their equipment, and their safety. Don't depend on your buddy or even your dive master.
0: Yeah, I I agree. You are your best advocate. Not only in diving, but anything that you're doing. I'm not saying don't listen to advice, but that's what the pre-dive plan is for. If I was at 117 feet and
1: I looked at my gauge and they had 500 pounds of air, yeah. it's like hasta la vista, baby. I'm going that way.
0: I, I don't he, understand. He must be he good at watch? air management. He must be good at air management because if I was at 500 at that depth, by the time you got to your safety stop, I'd have been out.
1: Yes. Yeah, and and and, and I wouldn't have been high. down there without my bailout.
0: No, but the 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 anytime anything goes against the plan, then you're not following the plan, and you need to stop the dive. I mean, that's, right? And
1: like that's, we always talked about too, you plan your dive for the least experienced mm-hmm. diver there, and if not, well, then you guys go together as a group and dive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't do not do a mixed bag because you're going to make the other guys who are really experienced like, damn, I just lost lots of time. I could have done this, that, and the other. No, you you, you go with the low man. Yes. But yeah. w- what would you have done? If you would got at 117 feet, showed him your gauge, you had 500 pounds, would you continue to follow that so-and-so?
0: No, no. I would not have. But if we had said 80 feet and he went down to 115, I would have stopped it right there.
1: I'd have been knowing before I got to 115.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're you're responsible for your air, your depth, your time. That's all your responsibility. The, the dive master should be as conservative or more so than you are. But if for some reason he's not, you don't want it to go the other way where you're as uh, unsafe or as as your dive master may be.
1: Yeah, this came from scuba board on comments, and this was a couple of years old, but the comments yeah. really ranged the gamut, uh, and the key item was, purpose there was not to identify what group or the guy's name, it's what would you do and what should you have done, and the comments basically are just what we said. Every diver is responsible for their plan, execution, equipment, and safety.
0: Yeah, in this particular case, from the sounds of it, he only had two divers he was responsible for. But that's that's I from my understanding, that's rare. Usually if you have you have anybody in the water, it's only one and it's for the whole group. So if you've got twenty people in the water and it's a like a charter operation, he's not looking out for you specifically. He's he's leading the group. And right, you and a, on,
1: a, on a cattle boat, I think you're correct. But yes. the whole key item here is we contacted him. He was basically our dive master. Yeah. Obviously, he was not. No. But I just can't believe somebody would look at a tank and say, I've got 500, and then continue to follow him until he's got 200 pounds. And it's like, I, I, I just don't understand that. And he's not inexperienced.
0: No. Well, and and here's the thing with air. I mean, so say he's the best dive master in the world, and you trust him completely, and you're down at two hundred pounds. who's to say he's got enough air to bail you out? I mean, in this particular case, it sounds like that he was able to buddy breathe off him but until
1: he left him <laughs>
0: oh, yeah but but who but who's to say that you know if you're going down you whatever air i mean the rule of thirds really i mean you you should have been coming up uh. Yeah, it just it you're responsible. I mean, that's that's all it is. I mean, I would be mad at him, but you need to be more mad at yourself because.
1: Yeah. Or uh, letting someone else take over your life.
0: Yeah. That's a good article. I like that one.
1: I do too. But then again, how often have we found ourselves referring to the experienced person when your limits have been exceeded? And that's and the, why we the, always preach it. You don't right. do it. That's well, when you I, give him that gesture I talked about earlier on your way up.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and there's been situations that I would say would be lighter versions. Of that. I've, you know, we, we've done dives and say it's Havana or Lake 16. And beforehand you say, what are we going to do? We're going to go out to the snowmobile or the boat, or we're going to go up this line and that line. And I've been on times where you're, you're going with a group, and you get to a turn point where you agreed to, and they keep going. So there's that point where I know my way back, but crap. You know, uh, maybe he saw something that I might be interested in, or I don't want to go back by myself. I'd rather dive with a group.
1: I was, I can remember, it's got to be 30 years ago, it's a long time, dive into Cedarville back when she was in shape. And oh, yeah. I went down with a, party of two more people and the visibility wasn't great that day and uh we got separated so i go to the tie-off point and wait and i wait (laughs) and i'm looking at my my stuff and i i come up you know with my air and all that wondering where the hell they are i come up they're already on the boat they got down. They got spooked. They came up, and you know, and yeah. it's like, well, that learn. You know, it's one of those items. You're going to be with a group. You stay with the group. Yes. And if it's low vis, then you either get that, you know, the stick method or the have a lanyard so you you know you're, you can find each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If yeah, if but, you're diving uh, with a group and you're you, you got to be in a group, you got to be yeah, be be the group. Be the group. Be a buddy. Uh, and that's something as a as a, a non rookie divers can be a little bit tough because uh, that distance away from your dive buddy can get a little bit longer than it should be, yeah. uh, especially in low visibility conditions. Because we we get to that where, like when we're doing a river dive,
1: fortunately we're, when we're doing that river wise, we're usually very shallow. Right. So that aspect, it's it's not to the same extent a, a major issue air wise.
0: Yeah, but but it's that kind of that condition the visibility so low. Yeah. That it's it's really a solo dive. You you're all going in at the same time and at some point you're going to come out, but you're really not necessarily diving with a buddy. And uh, another situation where that that uh happens is uh when we did the uh shark teeth dive in the Cooper River. Yeah. I mean, unless yeah. you were holding hands, you there was you had no hope of staying with your buddy.
1: Yeah, that's you know, when they say you gotta be open water, you gotta be used to blah blah blah. They seriously meant it. And if you didn't think they did, as soon as you were off that boat by yourself in that current till you yeah. went thump on the bottom, you were probably saying, Maybe I don't want to do this again.
0: No. No, that was uh, that was one where the minimum recommendations were just that they were minimum. I I would even think that uh, as much as I love that dive, uh, I would not, if if you're less than 100 dives and you're not seasoned river diver, low visibility solo diver, that is not the dive for you. But it was a blast. I would do that again as a second.
1: I would do things a little different. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, if you're enjoying the show, which we hope you are, if you could uh, drop by whatever website or platform you listen to the the program on and give us one of those five-star reviews, we'd appreciate it. And if it wouldn't cause too much harm or pain, we could certainly use your support. Uh, go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to our Patreon link, $3 or more gets you early access to our show notes. And it'd certainly be appreciated. Keeps us on the air, helps cover costs of hosting and the websites and everything else that goes along with the program. Um, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed on Twitter at scuba obsessed. You can leave comments to us, uh, the show at scuba And there's also the, uh, form on the website, which I went and realized that I'm getting so much spam from it. I'm, I'm ignoring it. So if you send us anything that way, make sure that, uh, you send it to us about once a week, because I am probably pretty bad at looking at that form. I need to come up with something to filter that spam. its I'm getting about 100 contacts a day, and I was so good at ignoring them, I didn't even realize it. <laughs> so uh, there you go. We have our fan map. You look around the Scoob Obsessed website, Scoob Obsessed fans, and there's a little link there. And you can see all over the world that everybody is listening to the program, and we certainly appreciate our listeners. Um, and if I can do it here without it taking too much time, I'm going to see if we can pull up, uh, our last app episodes, statistics, and maybe see what some of the more unique places people are visiting from. So, oops, here I am. So the, the number one, I would say if the country speaks English. As a primary language, they are in the top of our group. So, just here in the last week alone, uh, it is US is first and listens, then Australia, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So, there's the top four, but then number five. Could you guess what number five is, Mac? Uh, let's see. No, <laughs> it is Saudi Arabia. Excuse me? Saudi Arabia last week with 50 downloads just from Saudi Arabia.
1: I wonder if they're expats.
0: I, I, I would almost have to think so. But, uh, you know, and we're seeing that uh, the Middle East, uh, especially the affluent countries, uh, India and China are big growth areas for scuba diving. Uh, number six last week was Ukraine. Uh, number seventh was New Zealand. Then we had Japan, Jersey, which I'm guessing that's a country. Or is that is Jersey like part of the UK? Um, we had Belgium, Spain, Germany, Indonesia, Netherlands, Sweden, Hong Kong, Italy, South Africa, Chile, Denmark, Romania, Thailand, Ireland, Singapore, Malaysia, China, Laos, France, Lebanon, Philippines, Russia, Argentina, uh, I can't even pronounce this one. Is it? Meredith, Nigeria, Norway, Portugal, Mozambique, Mexico, Switzerland, Finland. And that was just last week's downloads.
1: The club site was getting so much spam. And I'm talking uh, the last record before we deleted everything was 5,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, we put spamware up on that now. And that has cleaned that mess up big time, but you were getting it from China, India, Pakistan, some into Ukraine. That's where all the spam, the majority of thousands and thousands of items.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Spam, spam comes from all over. Um, One of the biggest countries is the U S and Canada, but uh, Russia and Ukraine is common for spam as well. And really what they're doing when you're, when you're looking at spam, is it's the bot networks that have been taken over. So that may not be the source of the spam, but that's where the email is coming from that, or the message is coming from that the system is blocking. So so that's just some ideas. If uh, We certainly appreciate your support, and hopefully we keep this up. We're, what, 405 episodes. Who would have thought we'd been going this long? Before we get on to that time of the show, is there anything you would like to plug back?
1: No, but, uh, wrecks are being Dove. The Ironside oh, yeah, has been Dove. Ann Arbor yeah. 5 has been Dove. Uh, obviously Lake 16 is very popular because you get blown off the lake, go to 16. Wow. Uh, I'm hoping yeah. to be in the water in Pawpaw, uh, Saturday. So if anybody out there wants to go dive in Saturday, Pawpaw, yeah. let me know. I'll be, uh, my wife likes me to go right now because it's still dry suit. So mm-hmm. that means I gotta have somebody with me, so I can't go by uh, myself. <laughs> There's a method in her madness. Uh, but the river—you can forget the river. It is fast and nasty, and dark.
0: <laughs> the the chat rooms making fun of me. Uh, <laughs> I did say affluent countries, not affluent. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, if your country is filled with waste material, and <laughs> that's—I I, apologize—I'm not known for my pronunciation. I guess that's why my my high high-paying career in voiceovers never quite took off.
1: Oh, I I saw the boat now. That's a nice-looking little speedboat. Yeah, Does It have a motor on it.
0: Yeah. Nope. So, where was that, Eric? Uh, that we're we're look we're chatting with people in the chat room.
1: Yeah, I see. He's got a nice steering wheel.
0: That's Gull Lake? Is that the ice boat?
1: I don't think so. Which side were you on, Eric? Prairieville. Prairieville. Okay. That's okay. the that's the one up by the other part.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think the I've boat been, launch part. Yeah, I don't think I've been up to the Prairieville part. I Any mean, anytime they've gone diving I've usually up normal.
1: Well generally they go up there now because there's no boat traffic yet. So yes. that's a good safe time yeah, up there to hit real- that one.
0: Earlier, late in the season. Right, right now we're probably starting to get uh, where the traffic's starting to pick up. Now I did get my gear together, so I'm starting to get everything organized where I can actually do some diving. And uh, the critters have gotten to me again. Uh, If you remember, I had the problems with the uh, the caterpillars. Yeah. This time it's the mice. And I and I I need to pressure test everything. But on my BCD. The rubber, which is on the straps that go to the tank, yeah. they didn't bite through it, but they nibbled the edges. So it's like scallop marks, consistent the whole end all along it. I mean, it's 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 a bizarre. I should take a photo of it.
1: I I have my stuff in plastic tubs, even in my
0: basement. You might want to invest in a couple of those. Well, I do. I I just didn't have the, my beast. You know, I'm kind of torn because it's got to be dry. So a lot of times I'm hanging stuff out and it was drying and then I just, I didn't put that single piece in a tub. And the mice just decided they would modify it for me, decorate it a little bit. So, yeah, I I don't think it's damaged anything critical, but it is a little annoying. Damn mice. Annoying? Annoying, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it wouldn't be so bad, but I've got like a farm load of cats around here. I've only got in the basement uh, one, two, three, four cats. And my house, you know, is under 3,400 square feet. So this is crazy that I should have a mouse problem. But you, I, I have. Do you really I've, like
1: your cats?
0: <laughs> not
1: really. <laughs> not right now.
0: i are about to be fired. Darn cats. Oh, so and and I, i've seen them chase mice they like the outdoor cat he's he's great but i mean you know 40 some acres around here he's not gonna he's 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 like a, a lone soldier but the indoor cats they've got a little bit less uh, per capita that they need to be doing to be fed and they're not living up to their means
1: i see that uh, the dive bell on the Prairie View side is different you see the picture
0: I do, and I and that's um, I haven't seen what, that. Is longer. that a
1: hammock under there?
0: Is that for resting? Do you <laughs> sling yourself in there? That's what it looks like, doesn't it? It kind of looks like the, a Gilgan's Island version of dive bell, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's cool. I, I I so need to get in the water. Uh, my my honey do list is getting a little shorter, so I'm hoping I can get I can get caught up here and get some diving in.
1: Uh, tarp to stop silt out.
0: Oh, it's those rookie divers they're combating. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully you, s- you support your librarians and your local museums. Um, uh, is there, oh. is there anything else we need to plug? I
1: did a presentation at the Morton house. Uh,
0: oh, geez. excellent.
1: That went out over very well. And that again, was part two. Uh, yeah, that was the second series. Uh, I have one more for them. They may do that. We'll probably do that next year. And it's be what lies beneath. In this case, it'll be the St. Joe River. Um, uh, and I'll be putting more out on it later, but we still have, I believe it's September the 28th. It's going to be the big one presentation by Taurus Lucenko uh-huh. on the uh, aircraft carriers of Lake Michigan, including the salvage of the aircraft. And maybe some more information on the status of the UC ninety seven, because they wanted to salvage that and actually bring it up. So we mm-hmm. might have some details on that. It's also going to be a book signing. Yeah. Uh, right now we're anticipating having some books available there you can purchase. So that'll be the twenty eighth of September. I I really am expecting a good crowd. It'll be at the uh Benton Harbor Airport. And uh hope to see people there.
0: Yeah, and we'll try and get him on once his book's out. I think his publicist will let him speak again. Oh, absolutely! So we'll we'll be able to get him on the program and hear some more from him. You can, if you want to see who we're talking about, look back through the old episodes. We've had uh, Taras on before, and he's always interesting. Yes. So I think we're to that time of the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. So, in the interest of uh, uh tribalism and segregating groups, we will do this joke in that spirit. <laughs> so here we go. Jack, rugged diver from the cold waters of the Midwest, just back from a wreck dive, walked into a sports bar around 9.58 p.m. He sat down next to a warm water diver at the bar and stared at the TV as the 10 p.m. news came on. The news crew was covering the story of a man on a ledge of a large building preparing to jump. The warm water diver looked at Jack and said, do you think he'll jump? Jack said, you know what? I bet he will. The warm water diver said, well, I bet he won't. Jack placed $30 in the bed and st- on the bar and said, you're on. Just as the warm water diver placed their money on the bar, the guy did a swan dive off the building, falling to his death. The warm water diver was very upset and handed $30 to Jack saying, fair's fair. Here's your money. Jack replied, I can't take your money. I saw this at 5 o'clock news and knew you would jump. The water diver said, well, I did too, but I didn't think you'd do it again. Jack took the money.
1: And believe it or not, there's people like that out there. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you know, the story could have changed.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's the darn media.
1: That's the guy you don't want to be following on that wreck at 110. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, we're going to come up uh, when we have 500 500 pounds. Only 87 feet.
1: Yeah, and I'm only in the second deck, third level. (laughs) I, I know I can get back out. Yeah. Even though my flashlight went out. I can't find the tagline but I'm okay
0: yeah so on that note go out there and get what
1: and stay safe
0: Craig, either. That's a highlight.